Our reading today comes from Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasene. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it is that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We are continuing our series uh, on the book of Mark, Mark's description of the life of Jesus, and we have come to this rather prominent description of Jesus in direct confrontation with spiritual evil. I have to admit, I used to think that demons and evil spirits were just superstitious ideas from a superstitious age, until I went to Cuba, and working there with the church and working there with people, I began to see people that seemed to be demon-possessed all over the place. And I remember coming back, I was living in Vancouver at the time, and going to this big, very kind of well-dressed church And I remember meeting someone at this church, and this person stood out. His name was Todd. Todd had ripped jeans, ripped jean jacket, long hair, all the way down to like his butt, uh, tattoos everywhere. He stood out in this very well-groomed crowd. And I asked him, like, why are you at this church? Because he seemed to disconnect with the rest of us. And he told me why. You see, he grew up in a physically and sexually abusive household. Broken and scarred, he craved the power to stop people from hurting him. And so he heard about evil spirits that they gave power to people, and he invited them into his life to give him power. And they did. 
He was able to do occult things. He was able to practice automatic handwriting. It gave him a certain power over people. And he kind of rose in the dark, marginalized circles of drug trafficking. Nobody messed with Todd, because Todd had power. So I asked Todd in the middle of a church lobby, did, did you think those demons are really real? He said to me, Danny, he called me Danny, Danny, what Bible are you reading? Of course they're real. They took me over. We're looking at a particular event in the life of Jesus where Jesus confronts demonic spirits who've taken somebody over. And what Mark says, and what Jesus reveals says, we should listen to Todd, because they are real. And they can take us over. The gospel says that the final enemies, the most profound enemies of God, are actually evil spirits. And that human enemies of Jesus that we see all through the Gospels are really servants of the darker, more powerful enemies. The true battle of this time was Jesus against the demonic forces. And I submit to you the Gospel says the true battle of our time is that same battle with evil. The great battles we presently face, the battles against racism, against tyranny, against COVID, these are actually skirmishes, symptoms, outworkings of deeper, more profound battles. And the gospel invites us to grasp this, to see that the fights we see and perceive with our eyes, the evil we can measure, is not the whole thing. We think we can fight these battles with education and legislation, but the gospel says the reality of darkness, the darkness around us and the darkness in us, invites us to find a deeper answer, actually urges us to find a stronger cure. All of us, not not just people outside the church, but people inside the church need to confront the reality of this darkness. And so here, Mark confronts us with three things. Firstly, the real power of darkness. Secondly, the true power over darkness. And thirdly, the real choice we have between which of these powers we will choose. The real power of darkness, the true power over darkness, and the real choice we have. The real power over dark, of darkness, excuse me, the first part. There's three scenes here. Firstly, the description of this demon-possessed man. Secondly, this man confronting Jesus. And thirdly, the Gerasenes in Jesus. And these three give us our three points. Firstly, let's look at the man and see the power, the real power of darkness. We see Jesus here. He's in a place where the Gerasenes live. It's a region of ancient Israel populated primarily by non-Jewish people after the Roman colonization. And he meets a man, Jesus does, near the water, among tombs, which are considered unclean by Jewish people. And this man is is possessed by unclean spirits, or what we would call demonic spirits. Chains, it says, could not restrain him. Shackles could not hold him. People could not handle him. He had immense power. But he used that power to cry out, to wander alone, and to cut himself with stones. Now let's just stop and drill down a little bit on who this man is and what's happening to him. Firstly, Note the real presence of evil here. 
It exists whether people believed it to be a demonic presence or not. Historians tell us that people manifesting these symptoms back in this day would have labeled this person insane, very similar to how we would have labeled him. Mark doesn't even bother with that. Mark just says he had these evil spirits in him. Mark wants us to realize objective reality trumps subjective perception. The evil was real. Secondly, it was personal. These demons are beings. They're personal. Evil isn't an impersonal thing. Though evil can be entrenched into impersonal systems of evil and oppression, it can be more than personal. It can never be less. It's always personal. Thirdly, look at the power. Look at the power of this evil. It completely controlled him. He had no control over himself. It controlled him when he confronted others. They probably had to gather together in force to relegate and quarantine him into these tombs. Immense power. And finally, look at the purpose of this evil. What's it trying to do to him? What are these unclean spirits who later call themselves legion? What are they trying to do? They're trying, in one word, to dehumanize him. They alienate him relationally from everybody. They physically put him into a place where he's constantly harming himself. They emotionally torture him. When Jesus comes, he runs to him, and yet he says, stay away from me, as we're about to see. He's relationally, physically, and emotionally tortured, scarred, isolated. What would we have done to this man? We would have quarantined him off in probably a mental institution, just like they did in their day. But let's ask ourselves a few questions about whether our perception of the problem is as reductionistic as theirs was. Ask yourself, what about the persistence of evil over history? Let's take racism, for example. Why is racism so persistent? How did so many people buy into slavery for so long against black peoples? Why has anti-Semitism existed and persisted for so many centuries? Why do holocausts keep popping up in every century? The genocidal tendencies in humanity... The 20th century had the genocide of the Armenian people. It had the genocide of the Jewish people and others in the Holocaust. It had the the genocidal massacres of Rwanda, the genocides in Serbia and Croatia. It has the genocide now of the Urgur people. Why? Is it just explainable by mental illness? I don't think so. What about the depth of evil we see in these genocides? the mass systematic extinction of people just for the color of their skin, their ethnic heritage, the depth of evil, the persistence of evil. And finally, what about the fact that most of the world actually accepts the reality of evil spirits? Are we so sure that we're being so scientific? Are we so sure we're so superior to most of the world? Is it perhaps true that we're being slightly culturally snobbish. Do we actually know the world much better than Latin America and Africa and Asia? Or is it possible we're simply less attuned to this dimension of life? Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that everything we diagnose today as mental illness or psychiatric conditions is actually demon possession. Far from it. 
Not every person who does self-harm is under demonic influence. We need to hear that. That's not what they believed back then. It's not what we should believe back now. But what I am saying is let's not eliminate the reality of evil in the process. Richard Gallagher, trained in psychiatry at Yale, psychoanalysis at Columbia, wrote a book about his experience as a psychoanalyst with demonic influence in American people. He's written a book about it. He wrote a Washington Post article about it a few years ago, and I will quote that article. He says, For the past two and a half decades and over several hundred consultations, I've helped clergy from multiple denominations and faiths filter episodes of mental illness, which represent the overwhelming majority of cases from literally the work of the devil. It's an unlikely role for an academic physician, but I don't see these two aspects of my career in conflict. The same habits that shape what I do as a professor and psychiatrist, open-mindedness, respect for evidence, and compassion for suffering people, led me to aid in the work of discerning attacks by what I believe are evil spirits, and, just as critical, differentiating these rare events from medical conditions. Summary. Let's open our eyes to the reality that the gospel invites us to see. That there is real power of spiritual darkness. There is real, personal, powerful, purposeful evil out to dehumanize us. We need a better answer than simply legislation and education. For this truly is a battle for our time and not just for their time. So let's look at our second point. Where can we find power over this deep level of darkness? And the answer the gospel gives, of course, is Jesus. Jesus, in the second scene, confronts the man possessed by demons. He confronts him. He says to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he, Jesus asks him, what is your name? But we can skip over that part earlier where we see something about evil and its relationship, not to humans. It's bent on our dehumanization. But evil in its relation to God. Because look how it begins. He runs and falls down before him. That's submitting yourself to the authority of another in those days. Crying out with a loud voice, he says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knows who Jesus is. That's an expression of divinity. I adjure you. Adjure means I ask you to swear an oath. Do not torment me. Okay. The desire of evil here with respect to God becomes evident. What does the demonically controlled man say? He says, what do you have to do with me? That's a Hebrew idiom for why are you interfering with what I'm doing? That's what it would mean in our day. You see, evil wants freedom from God. Autonomy to do its own thing. Think about that for a moment. And then, what does evil finally want? When Jesus allows it, because Jesus told him he's got to leave, they don't want to just go nowhere. They want to stay in the region. Jesus allows them to inhabit 2,000 pigs. What do they do with them? Send them to their death. This picture wants to reveal the evil of evil, as it were. That evil wants autonomy from God and wants destruction of those whom it inhabits. 
By the way, that's probably why Jesus made this what is to us a perplexing decision. 2,000 pigs is a lot of food. It's a lot of profit. It's, it's a real disruption to that society. Why would Jesus do that? And Jesus isn't so concerned about our economic equilibrium as he is about our spiritual sight. He wants us to see what he sees, the evil of evil. It's desire to be autonomous, free from God, and it's desire to create destruction where it goes. That's the first thing we want to see is the evil of evil in this picture. But secondly, we want to see the authority of Jesus over evil. The demons make the guy, make this man fall down before him. They negotiate. They beg Jesus not to be left, uh, not to leave the region. What's going on here? They recognize his authority. He's the son of the most high God. He is the Lord over them. They know he can command them. They know he has the authority. And Jesus gives them permission to leave and inherit the pigs. Evil, subject to divine permission. The authority of Jesus. But finally, the power of Jesus to free those under the presence and the power of evil. This man is immediately restored to full humanity. He shows up in the last scene as we're going to talk about. He shows up in his right mind. He's able to control himself. He's able to restrain himself. Sorry, at the end of this scene. He's no longer tortured. He's no longer possessed. It says he's clothed and in his right mind. That's, that's kind of a picture of full restoration, full freedom. An original reader would catch something here. In the spiritual dimension, this man has gone from being a slave to being free. Slavery to freedom. He's been, in the words of the ancient days, he's been redeemed. Redeemed means to be purchased from slavery into freedom by another. Jesus has purchased his freedom. Except there's no price being paid here. So there'd be a question in your mind if you were an original reader. Where's the price? (laughs) Yeah, Mark wants you to wait because he's going to explain that later in the gospel. But I'll let us foreshadow it now. Jesus will pay the price for that man's freedom. Because at the end of his life, facing the power of evil, he will allow Satan to enter into one of his beloved disciples, Judas, to betray him, allow him to be arrested, tortured, and then hung on a cross. Nailed, actually, to a cross. The people that Jesus has authority over, you and me, even his enemies, he will give them the authority to make him not someone unclean, but perfectly clean. They will make him a rejected, despised criminal. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you and me. God made him who is perfectly clean, who what Hebrews 7 calls, we have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners. He will make him as guilty as if he had all evil and all sin on his own being. Why would Jesus allow evil to overcome him like that? Why would Jesus allow himself to be treated by his father as unclean? Because he loved us. Because he loved us, he gave his life for us. Yes, he sent pigs 
He allowed pigs to go to slaughter to show the evil of evil, but he allowed himself to be slaughtered to show us the greatness of his love. But then that will bring up a question. Do we need saving? Do we need freeing like this demon-possessed man? Well, then let's get to this final thing, the choice between two powers. But let's remember this second point. He's lord over the darkness. He has the power and the authority over it. And now we see this final scene and the Gerasenes come to Jesus and they do something very different than just about any other crowd has done when it's seen Jesus do miracles. Jesus has done miracles. He has taken demons and removed their ability to oppress or possess people already. And people have flocked to him, but here they come to him. They hear what's happened and they say, would you please leave? They don't want him to stay, they want him to leave. Why? Well, think of the scene. Now, from a Jewish perspective, Jesus has landed on a boat to a place with tombs. An area of tombs is unclean. There's a man with unclean spirits. He's unclean. He's living in a fundamentally Gentile community. Gentile communities, because they eat pigs, they're unclean. The pigs themselves are unclean. Unclean everywhere here. Jesus has entered into a completely unclean environment. But to the people who live there, the the pigs weren't unclean. And the man wasn't unclean. They were just life as it was in normal. It was wealth, it was food, it was the regular intercourse of life. Yeah, there was a guy who was a problem, but he was quarantined, so we didn't have to really worry about him. And we had our food, we had our economy going, and then Jesus showed up. He walks in, and within about half an hour, he has blown their world apart. And so what do they do? We already saw the demons had begged Jesus to be allowed to stay in the area. What do they do? They beg Jesus to leave them in the area, but for him to leave. What's Mark doing by using that word beg twice? He's saying their begging is in alliance with the begging of the demons. The residents of this area, the garrisons, like the demons, want nothing to do with Jesus. They want freedom from Jesus not freedom through Jesus. They'd rather have the presence of evil, nicely quarantined, because they think it's outside of them, but around, and the presence of their comfortable, self-directed lives than the disrupting power of Jesus who comes as Lord and says, give me your life, I will free you but I will also disrupt the way that you're running your life. And now we see the real choice and the hidden darkness that's now being revealed. You see, there's a hidden battle. It's not just the demon-possessed person who has the presence and the power of evil to deal with. It's the garrisons. It's you and it's me. It's all of us who want our comfortable life and can quarantine and deal with a little evil as long as it doesn't disrupt the comfort of the life as we've constructed it. You see, there's a hidden evil in our hearts. 
Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who himself spent years in the hard labor camps of the Soviet Union and experienced evil at far greater depths than most of us has, said this to the graduating class of Harvard University. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. You see, the evil isn't just out there. It's in us. Jesus says it explicitly in Mark 7. He'll say this. For from within, out of the hearts of men and women come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, wickedness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. They make them unclean. Who's unclean? You and me. We need to confront this reality. In our hearts there is a dark hunger for comfort. For power. For autonomy from God. Jesus please leave, leave me alone. Wherever you are in your journey of faith. You have inside of you that inclination. What motivates you to say, Jesus, please leave me alone. Please leave this area of my life alone. Please leave this region. I don't want interference here. I don't want the disruption you cause. Because when you come, you come as Lord. You come with disrupting lordship power and authority. And I don't want to submit to that right now. It's too disruptive. The freedom you promise, what cost? It's going to cost me my life. Yeah. Jesus says, yeah, it is. And it's going to grant you the freedom you're actually looking for. You see, whatever motivates you to say no to Jesus, get out, Jesus, whatever that is that you really desire, and you think God probably doesn't want you to have, some achievement you crave, some position you hunger for, some success you long for, you can't bear to think it's taken away from you, that thing that you think will make you whole, You're giving that thing power. You're giving that thing the ability to define you. And that thing is having the power to make you serve it. That thing is opening you up to be used by evil forces who know that dynamic in you. To fool you. Gain your allegiance. And hopefully in the end begin to dehumanize you. Do you think giving your life to pursuing wealth makes you more human or less? You ever met a Scrooge-like person? Do you find them more human or less? Do you find someone who's given themselves over so much to popularity that they're such a people pleaser? Does their people pleasing make them more human or less? See the dehumanizing power of giving yourself over? I talked to Todd about this. Todd, I said, so, so what changed? And Todd said, I had this power. People knew I was a bad man, but began to change me. You know, the drug culture began to get into me and I was doing drugs regularly. Then I began to have suicidal and self-destructive thoughts. He became a dangerous and unstable man. He had suicidal thoughts and then he became dangerous to others. And then they became dangerous to him. He actually fled the city for a couple of days because his life was in danger. He had become dehumanized, alienated, and his life that he thought would give him power now gave him nothing. 
The only place he could find where he could be anonymously away for a few days, he went to someone who he knew, I think his hairdresser, who he knew was a Christian and said, do you guys have any retreats? They said, there's a retreat this weekend. He said, good, sign me up. He knew no one would be looking for him there. You see, you and me, this decision to choose to follow the powers of darkness because we want to be away from God, free from God, or the decision to choose the one who has the power over the darkness is a live one. If you're here and you're investigating Christianity, it's something you've not quite yet made the decision of, and it's staring you in the face. If you're a Christian, in areas of your life, that question still the question for you in that area of your life. Now here's the interesting thing about Jesus though that perplexes scholars. (laughs) He agrees with the garrisons to leave. But then the man comes up to him. So let's look at the healed man. He follows Jesus. He says, I want to go with you. Let come with me. Let me come with you. He begs Jesus. There's the third beg. You see the contrast? The two beggings They want a freedom from Jesus and the one, let me be with you all the time. It's beautiful. But then why? Why does Jesus agree with the demons and let them leave, but stay around? Why does he agree with the Gerasenes to himself leave, but not let this man stay around with him? Because Jesus is showing us something of the essence of his person and his mission. You see, Jesus came here to this unclean place to leave. The unclean place I'm talking about is not this region. It's this world. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God from God's perspective. Every human being, this whole world, is unclean. And Jesus in love came to serve those who hate him, who are allied with the dark demonic forces. And he allowed men serving demons to ally themselves together to conspire to arrest him, to torture him, and to kill him. Roman authorities, Jewish leaders, they came together, unwitting servants of dark forces to make him leave this world. And the cross shows us that the whole world, the whole world is unclean. The whole world is guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The whole world needs the freedom that Jesus has. The whole world needs freedom from the power of darkness. And Jesus, who will go to the cross and do that, turns to this man and says, no, my mission is to stay and proclaim and then die to deliver. Your mission, if you want to follow me, is to stay where you're planted. We who follow him, don't try and escape the world we're living in with all of its challenges, but follow Jesus into the darkness and brokenness of that world. Be his witnesses. Tell all who will hear that they may marvel at the glory of the Redeemer. Tell everyone about his freedom. Be his feet, his hands, his mouth to tell of the marvelous works of Jesus and to do the beautiful works of compassion that Jesus calls us to do. Don't try and escape this dark, unclean world. Allow my presence to help you bear witness. Applications, quickly. If you're here and you're investigating Christianity, thank you for coming. 
I want you to be wise. Be wise to the fact that there are deeper forces of evil in this world that lie behind the human forces of wickedness that we're all talking about and confronting in our present conversation. Be also wise that in facing Jesus and deciding about him, every time you hold Jesus at arm's length, you are doing more than you realize. Know who you might unwittingly be putting yourself into alliance with because autonomy from Jesus, separation and independence from God isn't just a rational exercise. It's a spiritual decision that puts you in alliance with dark forces. I want you to know that. Secondly, come to Jesus. He will give you freedom. When Jesus is your identity. Everything that your career or your relationships or your kids, everything that you're hoping they will feed your soul with, he will feed your soul with something better. There's only one true power over the darkness out there. And there's only one true foundation for your identity. It's Jesus Christ himself who loved you from the foundation of the earth and offers you an eternal relationship. Come to him. If you're here and you're a Christian, the main message of this passage is similar. Be wise, firstly. Be wise. In, In John 15, Jesus says something about the world we live in. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is saying that the general world, in its stance of autonomy from God, isn't neutral. It's pulling you into its own systems of desires and pleasures and passions and rhythms. But those things, whether the world even knows it or not, are in alliance with the spiritual forces of dehumanization. So, in the words of John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's the love of attachment and agreement, he means here. He doesn't mean the love of compassion. He means do not be too attached and invested in the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world that way, he says, the love of the Father is not in them. Be wise. Be wise. And secondly, bear witness. The world we live in now is on fire with discouragement over COVID, division politically, dissension and dispute culturally. The world feels dangerous. Political conversation feels unclean. Our culture is being unmasked as filled with darkness. Dark currents of racism and anger and dark currents on every side of the political culture and discussion of demonizing people who disagree with us. (laughs) Demonizing. We live in a world of demonizing, not realizing we're allying ourselves with actual demons. But we who are Christians have been redeemed by the one who has power over darkness, the true light who has come into the world. He is the only true hope out of this darkness in us and in others. Know where the battle is. 
the deepest battle is spiritual. All other battles are part of it. Engage the real battle by bearing witness to Jesus. Todd, Todd looked for refuge in this retreat and he heard about Jesus and he went, wait a minute, there's true power, there's real power. And he became a Christian right in that weekend and he was freed. The power of his past abuse was broken over him. The power of drug addiction was broken in him. The power of needing that kind of dark power to feel safe was taken from him. And when I met him, he said, Dan, I want to help people like me. I hear you're pretty smart with answers to the Bible. Could you, could you help me create a Bible study for people who are on the margins, for people who are coming from the world I came from? And I said, I don't know your world. I, 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 I'll try. He said, all you got to do is show up and answer. I'll bring them. And he did, 14, 15, 16 people every week. Uh, I, rem- I remember we were sitting at a Starbucks having it once, and a, a guy walked up to us and looked at us and went, you guys, what are you, a band and a manager? <laughs> I guess it was the manager. But he became a witness to the marginalized, the broken, and many came to faith in Jesus and true freedom because of him. And that hairdresser who invited him to the retreat became his wife. And then he became not just a husband but a father. And awaiting the birth of his first child, he became a cancer patient. Hospitalized in the same institution where his wife was to give birth. In his dying days, his wife came in and gave birth. And in the last week of his life, he held his son. And I called him a couple days later and I said, I am so sorry. He says, Danny, don't be sorry. What God is doing is incredible. This whole ward of the hospital, it's heard about Jesus because of the crazy things that have happened to me. Nurses have come to know Jesus. Doctors are thinking about it. People are looking at Bibles. Danny, I wouldn't change this for the world. And I began to cry. I had nothing to say. Four days later, he passed away. What kind of freedom do you want? Freedom from the darkness or freedom from the one who brings freedom from the darkness because he's Lord of darkness. Choose you this day which freedom you want to obey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness. I love you. I pray that the people who are here will love you and that they will choose the true freedom, the true power. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we have time for some Q&A, and I have many here. So I'm just going to take a few of them. I'm sorry, I'll try and answer the rest this afternoon. I'll keep the phone, but there are well over 15. Your tie is off-center, and I find it very distracting. Thank you. Do you have a real question? Oh, yes, here we go. Uh, the question, how should we respond if we meet someone who has an evil spirit or is demon-possessed? Uh, I would say pray. Pray like crazy. Talk to them about Jesus. If it gets dangerous, it gets dangerous. Um, leave if you're in physical danger. Uh, 
keep speaking Jesus if they're willing to listen. Sometimes it does get dangerous, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes God gives you the authority that the demons leave and this person comes to faith. In the case of Todd, great question. Uh, why is faith in Canada weak? Uh, faith in almost all, here I'll fix my tie, there we go. Faith in almost all uh, developed countries that are highly technological and highly science-based tends to be weaker and less attuned to these spiritual dimensions. It's not just Canada. Uh, but why is faith in Canada weak? That's a spiritual question you can ask God. I wish I knew the answer. I wish it was stronger. I think it's a great question. Um, Sorry, someone threw in a, an advertisement. That's not a question. That's come join my firm. Uh, why were there pig farmers in kosher Israel? Israel wasn't kosher. It was a Roman colony. So areas where Gentiles lived were allowed to run by Roman rules. Um, why didn't Jesus just destroy the legion? Why does it seem he didn't have complete power over them? He did have complete power over them. He gave them permission. Uh, the answer is ultimately in the cross. Why didn't Jesus just kill evil? He triumphed through weakness. It's just the reality of the way Jesus has shown us that the cross is. One day he will come in power and completely obliterate him. But that's reserved for his second visit upon the earth. I don't know why he chose to break it up into two visits. But he does say part of the reason why is that he's very patient toward us. He wants more of us to come into life and then to come into new life so that he can rejoice forever celebrate together, have the marriage supper of the Lamb together, and inhabit eternity in close fellowship forever with millions, may I say billions more than would have been if he'd just done it all then. Well, I'm going to answer the other questions uh, later on personally to you, so you can keep texting them in if you want, but let me pray now, and then we'll close our service. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are the true power over the darkness. You are Lord of all things. Help us to come to you as Lord and experience your redeeming power. In Christ's name, amen.